Thank you so much uh, for that creative reading. Well, it's a joy to be here. It's a joy to be here back at Asbury. Uh, and it's an honor to be here, uh, standing here. And I'm still amazed that I'm even here, or even I sat there. I, I sat there one time, and I was amazed then. And I'm, the fact that I got here is even more amazing. As Dr. Freymeyer said, and so graciously uh, invited me to come to preach, uh, it's an honor, and it's a it's a joy uh, to be with you with Jacob. I brought a, a friend who's, who's considering audio ministry, and uh, he's excited to be here at the best seminary in the world. Hey. Just kidding. But it was here that I learned to prepare to preach. Uh, Asbury Theological Seminary was where I learned to preach here, and specifically here at this campus in Orlando, not at the other place, the mothership, this particular one. It was here I learned to preach. It was here I learned to prepare myself to preach. It's here that I learned lamenting my grades to see where I struggled, whether I got a B or a C, and whether that would make me a better pastor or not. But mostly, but mostly, I love to come back and see professors who become friends, to see friends who become pastors, and pastors who have a burning desire to preach. Seminary is a part of my story. Seminary is a part of who I am, and specifically here in this chapel. This place, this chapel, this city. I remember driving here every week. It was Tuesday and Thursday back then. I'd get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and go back at 9 o'clock at night, get home about 11 at night. I have three classes, yeah? Greek in the morning, you know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, another class, and then 6 o'clock in the evening we'd have another class. And I'd get up, and I'd look in my side mirror as I drove from I-4. I'd look at my side mirror at what was behind me. And most of the time, I'd look over my shoulder as well because I was trying to get into the outside lane to get here quick because I was normally late. <laughs> and as I'd look over the shoulder, and as I'd look in my rearview mirror, I'd think to myself, what's behind me? What have I left behind? Uh, why am I so privileged to come and sit right here? What do I look at in my rear view mirror? What do I look at in my side view mirror? Where have I come from? What have I left behind? What is it that I'm developing in my story? What's your story? What's your legacy? What's the thing that you want to leave behind? What's the autobiography if you're going to read one or you're going to write one? What happened to you this week? What happened to you this month? What happened to you this year, the decade that has gone by? What's your story? So your story matters to me. Whether you like it or not, your story impacts me. Your story impacts everybody around you in here. You can't live apart from people. We don't walk around in silos. Your story matters. If you have a family like mine from Liverpool in England, believe me, you can't live apart from your family. That's where I'm from. I'm from this small town called Liverpool. I always tell people there's only two good things that come from Liverpool. One of them is my mother, amen, and the other one is this little band. Some of you didn't get that. That's all right. But coming from Liverpool, I was never destined to be anybody or do anything. I was never destined to be educated. I was never destined to be a part of anything or do anything good with my career or my life. I didn't want to go around in these circles everybody else went around in 
drug abuse, drug abuse, no job. I get a job, no job. So at 16, I left for the high seas, and I joined the Royal Navy. Yes, the real Navy, not the other Navy. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Any vets? Any vets in here? No vets? Okay, I'm the only vet. Oh, one of you. Thank you for your service. But it was in the Navy is where I met Jesus. It wasn't in Galilee. It wasn't in a tax booth. And it wasn't at a well, but on a warship. I remember specifically kneeling and asking God to forgive me for my sins. I remember in a cabin by myself asking God, everything that I've ever learned about myself, forgive me. I remember somebody telling me their story and about how they had met Jesus. And I, I, I changed. I gave my life to Jesus. I, I got changed. I was transformed. And I started to tell other people what had happened in my life. Ad nauseum at first. You know, I wore my Christian t-shirt. I wore my little brat band that goes around here. And I had some sort of like a Bible carrying bag, you know, like a lot of Jesus junk that I told people about, right? But I remember the first time I heard somebody's story. I remember Gary Gaither at about the first time I like really shared what it meant to follow Jesus. I remember Gary Gaither, who I'd been kind of witnessing to. I, I shared with him what it, you know, what it meant to be a Christian. He joined our group. He joined our fellowship group. And, and as he joined our group, he kind of liked it. And he'd go on our little fellowship trips and the different places we'd go around the world when I was serving in the Navy. And one particular time, we were in Puerto Rico. Yeah, we were in Puerto Rico in this beautiful rainforest. We were walking along, having fellowship together, like just beautiful, you know, skipping and just gorgeous hills and, and trees in front of us. I remember him saying to me, yeah, I love this. This is great. And I said to him, well, you know, you haven't really made a decision yet. You haven't, you know, you haven't decided to follow Jesus. You're just like, you've got your feet in two camps here. You're like, Live in the Navy way, yeah, which you, I don't, I leave that to your imagination. And you're living this, you know, joining in the fellowship of believers, but you haven't really made a decision to follow Jesus. And I left him at that. The ship went back home. We went on leave for some time. And then uh, the, as everybody was gathering back on board the ship, um, we met on two deck. Two deck is the main drag of a ship. It's the, the main passageway. It's like walking from the chapel to the front door at the seminary here. And, and uh, on that two deck, there's people walking by and knocking you kind of thing. And he, and he, and he, he says, Keith, I've got something to say to you. I've got to tell you something. Oh, okay, okay. So uh, we stopped, and there's people going by and talking. He says, I, uh, I, uh, I, I, I gave my life to Jesus. Yes! I, I remember that I've still got chills down my spine now as he, as he told me. And he said, I, 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 I'm going to do this the rest of my life. This is great. I guess now we call that our call to ministry. And I knew right then that I wanted to do this all my life. I knew right then that along with you guys, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Gary Gaither. That was in 1999. Jump forward 12 years, four kids, one American life, and a jump across the pond to Tampa Bay. And I'm sitting right there. I'm sitting right there uh, 2011, as I enter in this place called Seminary. I sit there, and I'm looking at a flag. Remember when we had the flags here? And I'm looking at a flag here. They're upstairs now, and it was, a, it was a flag that I used to look at through binoculars when I was on a ship. It's red with a Union Jack in the corner. And I started to weep. I started to sing, and I started to worship all at the same time. 
Because I was now sitting in seminary, listening and desiring to, to, desiring to preach what I'd learned. And I was allowed to be here. They, they allowed me in. And I was so happy of this story that was developing in my life that I had been called to serve, to teach the Word of God. And no matter what flavor Christian you are, whether you're a Methodist or whether you're a Church of God, whether you're a Nazarene, whether you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, whether you are washed in the blood from your head down to your toad, or whether you, your heart has been strangely warmed, all of us here have a story. Amen. All of us here have a story, a salvific moment or a period of time, uh, how you met Jesus and how you have this calling sitting here in this seminary. We don't really have any stories in the Bible to help us with, do we? <laughs> the one that was read so well here today from the voice translation is something you're familiar with. The woman is at the well, and Jesus is on his way with his disciples to, to Galilee and happens to stop by this well, Jacob's well. You know the story? The woman comes up, and he, she, he asks her for a drink, and she's like, you've got no bucket, dude. Yeah, but you've got no bucket, and there's no way you're going to be able to get water without... No, 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 I'm talking about living water. Yeah, you're, that's the kind of stuff you're, you're looking for. Oh, okay. I want this water, says the woman. I want this water. I never want to thirst again. And Jesus says, okay, well, you know, I'm going to tell you a few things about your life. Um, this is what happened. And he argues back and forth, or rather she argues, and Jesus is because she's saying to him, we, work on, we worship on this mountain right here on Gerizim. You Jews say you worship over here. And there's this back and forth. And if I was Jesus, I'd be like, woman, I've, I've got enough for you. Just stop asking these questions. But Jesus talks to her and says to her, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship in. Thank you. That was your test. The true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. And, and he says, I am he. And then the text picks up and says, so just then his disciples came and they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. People's stories matter. People's stories matter. What was this woman's story? As she looked in the side mirror of her life, what was this woman's story? What was it today? What's your story next week? And what's her story last year? What is it? The first thing she did with her story, what is it that she said to people on the street in Sychar? She went immediately into the city and told the people what happened. What happened? A Jewish man had spoken with a woman, a Samaritan one at that, in the middle of the day in Sychar, a Samaritan city. Well, you might say, what's wrong with that? I'm in business. I'm a, a woman in business, and I met with guy, meet with guys all the time, one-on-one -on -one, uh, for lunch. Uh, you know, I'm a pastor. I'm a male pastor, and I meet with females, um, and we ha I have my little window in my office, you know, kind of thing, so it's okay. But, but, but that's normal around here. Not then. Back when the Samaritan Jews were just against each other's throats all the time. They had different ways of worship. They, they attributed different parts of the scriptures to their lives. They were mate, waiting for a Messiah. 
But Jewish rabbis wrote hate speech about this particular people. They wrote it into their laws about Samaritans. They claimed that Samaritan women to be avoided at all costs, and they, they were unclean from the cradle. They were definitely not to be spoken to. Even Jewish men were instructed not to talk to women, their own wives as well, for fear of gossip in the middle of the day. So that's the first thing she told these people in Sikar. That's the first thing she told others. And the next thing she said was, uh, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Everything I've ever done. Disciples didn't say anything when they seen him talking to the woman at the well. They knew that, that he would probably have some quick comeback or some witty thing to say or some sort of like teaching moment. Yeah, we, we're getting used to being with you, Jesus. Don't cast stones. Don't be the first one cast. Yeah, we get it. But she runs off to the city to tell the men there what she had seen. And she heard the things that she had heard and how she felt with this guy. What did she say to them? Women's testimony was dubious in first century Israel. Nobody listened to women in Israel. What facts did she share with the elders of the town? Was it something seminarian? Was it something beautiful? Was it something educated? How could the elders of the town know that the woman, what, what had happened in her head was something that happened in her heart and that was something that happened in this person's soul? How did they know whether it was real news or whether it was fake news? What filter did they have uh, that convinced them that to go see the thirsty Jewish man at the well, it's, it's perfectly okay to do that? I've got a slide here for you um, to let you know where Jacob's Well sits. Uh, Jacob's Well is this structure at the bottom here. Mount Gerizim's on the left. Mount Ebal's on the right. At this particular part of the world, this geographical location, something massive happens. Those of you know that, that at this place that has been in, in the Bible for over 2,000 years, and it's mentioned 60 times in the Old Testament alone, you know you scholars of Old Testament know that in Genesis 12, Abraham goes down to this place and he sets up an altar in this scary place where the Canaanites are because they're sacrificing babies to their gods. God says, go down there. Abraham's like, okay, I'll go down there. and You'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. And when you get there, you just set up an altar for me. So Abraham and Sarai go down there. And then they're called Abraham and Sarah. You know the story? And they set up this place in Shechem. Then Jacob buys the land. Later on, Genesis 33, Jacob buys the land for 100 pieces of silver. And he calls it God, the God Israel, the God of Israel. He liked that well. He liked this well because it was so deep. And he went all the way down to the water that was under the ground. And it was the best water that you could have. And some rabbis called this living water. It was good water. And later on, after Jacob, the, the old man Moses goes to these two mountains here. These two mountains are a mile apart. They're a mile apart. And on here would stand the Israelites. And they would say blessings and curses to one another. They could hear each other on the mountain. And they'd say the, the, the curses would be, Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father and brother, or, or, honors, dishonors his father and mother. And everybody would say, Let's try it again. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father and mother. And all the people said, Amen. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your livestock. Amen. 
back and forth, 12 of them, back and forth with these things. Joshua would watch and mimic this guy, Moses. Joshua was getting set up to be the new guy, and he would watch and mimic what Moses did. So that when Moses died and he got the handoff, yeah, he would say the same thing on this same mountain. And he would instruct them in verse 23 of chapter 4 of Joshua, incline your hearts to the Lord, like we did when we came for worship tonight. Incline your hearts to the Lord. I mean, this is where stuff happened. This geographically is the epicenter of, of, of Judea. And this place is where people have heard from God. This is where the three roads meet. Samaria, Galilee, where Jesus was going on his way to, and of course, Jerusalem. Samaria, Galilee, and Jerusalem. All three intersect at this point in Jacob's, at Jacob's well. It's one of the greatest moments in the New Testament and the Old Testament. It's where God the Father spoke to Moses. It's where Jesus, the incarnate Son, speaks to the women, and also where the Holy Spirit still speaks to us today. Amen? speaks to us through the scriptures. It's where Old Testament scripture intersects with Old Testament tradition and where New Testament reason intersects with experience. These happenings at Shechem are all the times, all the times that we have broken our promises with God. They are the occurrences of God understanding the human condition of our inability to follow God and how our hearts are prone to wander. So the Samaritans know this place real well. Thanks. Samaritans know this place real well. And so they run to the well. They know the well. They go to the well. And before they get there, the narrative returns to, to where the disciples are there. And looking at each other before, they're looking at, at the leftover urn that was knocked over on the ground kind of with this ironic twist of she needed water and now she's knocked the water, the water urn over and she doesn't need it anymore because she's got living water. And then she runs off into the town, probably thirsty. The disciples are looking at her like, what the, what the heck? Jesus has made this other faux pas in the history of Israel. He's like breaking this thing with speaking to women in the middle of the day. A Samaritan one at that. So they do what they thought best. Uh, did you eat yet? <laughs> did you eat, Jesus? I mean, we've eat. Did you eat? I mean, we, we, we think you look a little hungry. Uh, did you eat yet? I mean, we, got, we went into town. We got these uh, five loaves and two fishes. You want some, uh, you want some food from, from Sikar? Jesus, finding a teaching moment, says, he's probably knowing they're confusing, right? Probably knows that they're confused, confused at what's going on. I have some real food to eat that you don't know about. Disciples are looking at each other again like, has he got some secret stash somewhere? Has he got something up his robe that we're not sure about? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. You brag about the harvest coming, for us, we brag about the next revival, the next meeting, the next church conference, the next big thing that's coming up. But I tell you, look around. I like to think that Jesus is looking at the Samaritans here. Look around you. Here is the harvest. Here is the harvest coming for you, coming towards you. Jesus is saying, 
here is the harvest right in front of you. This is your food. This is your sustenance. This is your daily bread. Amen? This is your daily bread. To look out for people who will respond to Jesus and his message. Jesus said, I am the reaper. I get to see this harvest of people coming towards me. And it's so exciting to hear my message. This is my food. This is the Samaritan's food. And this is your food. Jesus gets to see the Samaritans, the hated ones. They'd walk across the street to get away from these guys. They wouldn't even help them. They were the ones that were unclean. He gets to see them come and hear his story. I mean, why did the Samaritans walk to Jesus at Jacob's well to hear Jesus? Was it a book or a piece of parchment that they'd given out? Was it something that, some nice tract? Was it a a popular poll or a trendy Facebook feed that that was going to change the world no matter how many times you shared it? Was it a dynamic speaker, a great professor, a wonderful philosopher? Was it a dynamic preacher? No. What was it? It was the woman's story. It was the woman's testimony, the story about what Jesus knew about her life and what Jesus had done in her life. And in her words, she said these three things. In her words, she said to them, come and see. An invite, always the best, by the way, if you're running a church. An invite. Come and see. Come and see a man that knows my life. He knows everything about a testimony to, to how he has spoke into her life. Come and see a man that knows my life. And then the question that related with our own people, do you think this is the Messiah? Do you think this is the Messiah? Is this who we are waiting for all this time? The power of story is known. The power of story is known in business, in sales. The story of the sale is more important than the product you're selling. In in business, the connectors to the story are really important so you have business with other people. In social media now, if you're on Snapchat, any Snapchat users out there? Yeah, yeah. In Snapchat now you have like, this story, it's all about your story. Instagram's got it now. Facebook's trying to jump on it. Yeah, and it's what, you know, Generation Z and Millennials live by. And it's interesting that the way we communicate, it changes like every day. But the power of story has never changed. Amen? So those of you using social media, those of you that's, that post like every hour, confession time, you can do that if you want. Those of you that post, like, everything that you're eating, whoa, check this out. Yeah, look at this. You know, I'm with this. I'm with this cake. I'm with this woman. I'm with this thing. If I followed you or you followed me, what would I see? What story would I see about your life? What is most profound? What does a 24-hour into your window look like? Is it something that's trending well? Is it something that's a popular story? Does it have over 4,000 likes? Are you Insta-famous? <laughs> Ultimately, are you someone that's following Jesus? What's your story? In confirmation in the Methodist church, we remember our baptism, we say. We remember our baptism. That doesn't say that we look back when we were 
two years old and two foot high and think, oh, yeah, I remember that. No, we remember the occurrences of God in our life. We remember when God has spoken to us. We look into, in our rearview mirror and say, oh, oh, I remember that. That was so cool. I remember when God spoke to me here. And we can tell whether your testimony is true or not. We can see it in your face. I can look you in the eyes and you can tell me what your story is and I can tell whether it's true or not. I can tell it in your body language. I can tell it by the way I look in your eyes. Put the phone down. I can tell whether it's real news or not. I can tell whether it's fake news because I can tell when it's good news. Amen. Some of the people you pastor and you shepherd, that you'll go and shepherd, that you are shepherding, often say, well, well, I got no story. I got nothing to tell, preacher. I don't know what you're talking about. I can't talk to those people. Probably our chief job is to tell other people, you got a story. You, you can speak to people like nobody else can. Yeah, your culture, we were talking about in the, in the preaching class, about, about the culture and about how we, the different kind of people are. Only you can speak the way you do. Only you can speak the way you do. Only you can hear the way you do. Only you can process the way you do. And we have to spend time and energy and effort convincing our congregation that we must share our story. And there's nothing better to hear a teenager's story about how God changed their life. It's nothing, it's, there's nothing better than hearing how they discovered Christ. Last week, I was on a mountain retreat in the middle of uh, uh, North Carolina. We got snowed in. I was with 25 teenagers, and Jacob is here with me today, and he gave testimony and gave story about he, how he feels called to ministry. And if that doesn't send tingles down your spine, you are not breathing right now. There's nothing better than hearing of people doing the will of God and hearing of others growing in their faith, serving others, and sharing their story. Many Samaritans believed because of the testimony of the woman. Or, or maybe, maybe many Americans will hear because of your testimony, about your story. Many Floridians will believe because of your autobiography, what the tale that you have told. Or maybe, maybe many will Many people in, insert your congregation members here will believe because of your testimony. Sisters and brothers, fellow Asbarians, professors, honored doctors, give testimony to what God has done in your life. Give testimony uh, to what, what's in your rearview mirror. Find the things that glorify God. Sometimes I just like to sit here and listen to my professors, listen to, to preachers and, and read books about theology and, and, and gather some information a bit more and hear all the fantastic things that are said about God. And information's good. It's good to have information. We're in an information nation right now. But information no, is no good unless it leads to transformation. Amen? Let's gather information that leads to transformation. Share that. Tweet that. Facebook that. Just put it on your, on your feed and stick it on there. But most importantly, tell it to other people face to face, eye to eye. Tell people that to live for God is, is, and his righteousness is your sustenance, your one desire in life. That's the only thing that has sufficed for you. 
tell people in your own language, in your own dialect, in the, in the way that you speak. Tell people how you experience Jesus. Tell the ones that feel left out of church. Tell the ones that feel like they're not communicated with. Tell them of your love. Tell them. And many will believe because of your words. Many will believe because of your story. Many will believe because of your testimony. And finally, one day, they will say themselves, surely Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Amen? Amen. Thank you.